Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Not Your Average Hunter. My name is Ethan Mathias, and on this episode, I'll be joined with my buddy Danny Fulton. You can follow Danny on Instagram at the Fulton Farm. Thanks, and hope you enjoy. Hey, Danny, what's going on? What's going on, buddy? Hey, glad to have you on tonight, man. Excited. Yeah, me too. You uh, did you get your daughter dropped off? Yep, just got her all dropped off, swim practice. She's 10 years old and do this just about every night of the week. So I'll tell you what, you're getting dad of the year award. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) sometimes. Yeah, working a full-time job doing that. It's a busy schedule there. There you go. I agree. (laughs) I love it, though. Hey, yeah, man, I've got three older sisters. Love them all to death, man. They're, They're best friends ever. Yep, I agree. I agree. Well, Danny, tell tell everybody uh, a little bit about yourself. You know, introduce yourself. Uh, Danny Fulton, um, Southern Indiana. Not the uh, not the mecca of waterfowl that you uh, you have with some of your other guests, but small uh, small little family farm. My dad, my dad basically is the head guy. He owns it. Um, you know, his his brother and him bought the property i don't know probably 20 something years ago and then uh, a few years ago he my my uncle was wanting i guess a little retirement money so they worked out a deal and dad dad bought the majority of it and you know that was really when things kind of got started we started started playing around with some stuff down there and trying to trying to create a little little slice of heaven down there for us that the ducks will somewhat enjoy and you know like i said not being in the the heavy areas like arkansas and missouri we're just you know small time just trying to trying to do something for the family man that's uh from all the pictures of it i mean you you totally undersold it because your place is incredible (laughs) it's uh it's a lot of fun i will say that it is something that you know, I've been in been been in some leases before. You know, in in my younger days, and I'm I'm not that old, but you know, been in leases, been been on lots of guided hunts all over, been you know, lease lease property in Arkansas, and go to North Dakota every year, and all those places. But man, it's there's something different about doing it at at your own little family farm. You know, I mean, really, it's it's Dad and I doing predominantly all of it you know i mean it's 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 his money and it's my ideas and he's kind of he's kind of let me run with you know most of it and it's it's been awesome you know it's it's not anything fantastic yet but it's it's a place that we actually we um so when the ohio river floods this property you know, it doesn't happen all the time, but a couple times a year, usually during duck season, water will get in there. And, you know, it used to be owned by some out-of-state farmers and it was, you know, it was almost like public hunting, like what you see in some places when the river would get up, it was basically free-for-all. Like anybody that, you know, had a boat and was running the river, they just followed the flood water and there were spots back up in here and, you know, some pretty good hunting. And I, I actually, you know, long before we ever owned the property, I've been on some pretty epic duck hunts out of a boat you know as a teenager (laughs) yeah and you know it it was it's funny i was i don't know i was probably 16 17 years old at the time and my buddy and i my best bud that i've been hunting with since t-ball we were out running the river one day and we just 
we saw ducks just going down and you know the river wasn't out of its banks so we threw an anchor out and climbed up the high bank and kind of started walking out across this cornfield a little bit just looking and there was ducks just swarming well the river had been up and had fallen out and it had left this slough and anyways long story short you know get it get in the truck find this place by land and it's coming up for auction about three weeks from no kidding and i basically was a spoiled brat 16 year old kid that just went home and begged and begged and begged and begged my dad to at least go look at it at least go to the auction you know just you never know you could steal it and they ended up with an 80 acre track which wasn't really where the ducks were and then a few years later another oh i don't know 100 and i think it's 100 and I forget, not 92 more, maybe something like that. They, they ended up with it, neighboring property sold. They got it. So now it's big, big, big L shaped property down there. I think it's like 190 acres total. So it's, it's a really cool spot, you know, that we, we actually hunted many, many years ago that we didn't own at the time. And we just, like you said, running with it, just trying to implement a few new little things every year and trying to create something cool you know it's it's always been good if the river floods we're trying to make it good without the flooding you know putting yeah, all was, water in places and doing stuff like that so i was gonna say i you know I've, I've been following you guys on instagram for a while and you know keeping up with all your projects and yeah i don't know what year it was you guys have planted all this corn and all this stuff and then the river just you know right before season started it just floods yep. y'all out and man yep. that's that's tough right there when it happens a lot to be honest with you it's just we, we're in a funny spot and we've kind of we've kind of created you know we've kind of created a little more of a situation that's harder for us to control the water when we do get the spring and summer rains um you know we just we created some levees and some ways to hold water in in the fall when we want it there but you can only get it off so fast you know we don't have electric down there and it, it's one of those places where it just cost an absolute fortune to ever get it down there. So we've never even really entertained it that much. But, you know, when the water gets you in the spring and the summer, it's you really just got to wait it out. I mean, we got 24-inch, you know, culverts in, but you're talking about a big bathtub that's got to drain in a in a hurry to not <laughs> choke out crops. You know what I mean? So, oh, man, it's tough. It, you, you want water so bad, and then when you finally get it, man, it – oh, man, it, it just – and ruin everything quick, fast, and hurry. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're actually on our, uh, we plant, you know, basically everything close to the blind that's easily floodable for us. We leave a little bit of standing corn in that, and then we plant some other duck mixes and whatnot. But we've, we planted it normal time of year, lost it to flooding, early flooding, replanted it, lost it again to flooding, and we've planted a third time here, I don't know, maybe a month ago, three weeks ago, something like that. Um, got a little seed company up in Oregon that they'll do custom blends of all, type, all types of waterfowl mixes and stuff. We, um, we called Chris up and just said, hey, I need, I need, the, I need something that's basically all going to mature in 60 to 90 days. And put together a little blend for us and had him hot box it out, get it to us quick and got it in the ground. And now we've now we're in a drought you know we've, we're down there trying to water this damn thing with a tractor and a water tank and a two-inch trash pump and 
Hey, you're, you're at least giving it a shot. I mean, We're some trying guys, our hardest. Some guys just throw in the towel and kick the bucket, man. Y'all, I saw y'all out there over the weekend you're spraying it down, doing everything yep. you can to make it work. Yep, trying to get it. I mean, usually most of this stuff, you know, you get it out of the ground. You get you get six, eight inches out of it, and it'll almost take care of itself from there. But sometimes, at least in, in the areas we're in and the soil type we're in, it's the hardest part sometimes is just getting it out of the ground. Once it gets out of the ground, it's does enough on its own that we ought to get it to mature we're we're hoping fingers crossed so yeah are y'all predominantly planting corn or what's kind of your yeah, go-to so we, it's we share crop it i mean it's it's actual you know farm crop so i mean it's it's predominantly corn every year our farmer that we um that we have share crop it i mean they're great him and his boys and you know they'll they'll uh they'll let us do just about anything we want. You know what I mean? They prefer corn every year anyway. So that's a good thing. And then we'll typically leave some standing corn. We don't leave a ton, but we leave some, you know, where the water will be. We've kind of got it. You know, we, the guys that did the dirt work for us was, you know, them and another, another excavator that is right down the road from us. So we got a pretty good idea of, you know, where our water depths are when we're at pool and we just, you know, we leave some corn accordingly, and then we plant a bunch of different duck mixes that we have Chris blend up, and you know, we just cross our fingers, Mother Nature cooperates, and if so, we got a nice buffet of different options for them <laughs> when when duck season gets here. Yeah. It's not real big, so I I think our biggest key to success is just having a lot of different food options that are floodable. You know what I mean? When when the weather changes. They don't always want the same thing, you know. They they will change what they're eating based on the weather, and I think having that assortment is is key for us on such a small piece of property. You know what I mean? It's, it's oh, it key makes to have a it have makes, a buffet for them. Yeah, it makes you stand out. You know, I what, what's kind of the common, what's the most common food source up there for ducks? I mean, it's definitely corn. Okay, um, you know, and they'll chase. We're we're not in, like I said, we're not in some major hotspot. We do have a refuge. Slough's wildlife management area is just across the Ohio River from us in, in Kentucky. And they hold birds. It's nothing like it used to be. I mean, I know everybody that comes on here probably says the same thing. It's, things have changed. It's not what it used to be. But they they hold a pretty good amount of birds. They leave some standing corn over there on the refuge. And then most of our, you know, so we're, we're in pretty close proximity and then most of our river bottoms and stuff will flood. And that's predominantly what's planted. It's, you know, corn and soybeans around here, similar to, you know, anywhere in Kentucky, Southern, Southern Illinois, Southern Indiana, it's kind of all the same farming methods. And then anything else that we plant is just, it's either millet, milo, sluegrass, buckwheat you know we'll blend chris river refuge seeds is where i get everything and chris will blend just about anything you want he's got some custom different duck mixes for you know different different soil types different you know moist soil stuff dry soil stuff so he's great he you know he's he's taught me a lot about my own place without ever even coming on site you know i just call him and pick his brain a little bit he's always been helpful and oh even watching his youtube videos man i mean he he just he goes so in depth and Yes, you know, it kind of walks walks the regular guy like you and me through how to do it step by step, and yeah, man, it makes for it, sure. it makes it feel pretty easy after that. It sure does, you know. It's it's just and so, like I said earlier, so much of it's mother nature cooperating. You know, if if 
if you put the right blend of things together and you, you know, you got a little tiller or something, you can do just about anything. And it's, you know, at that point, it's just cross your fingers. You can get some water and, you know, like I said earlier, once it matures, you're, you're pretty much golden after that. So yeah, a little bit of sweat and a little bit of diesel fuel. You got to be, there you go. (laughs) There you go. So uh, I got to ask just because I'm curious, you know, from when I leave over the Memphis bridge to my place in Arkansas, you might see one cornfield, maybe two on a good year. Uh, just cause it, you know, it's tough on the soil down here. Yep. Is it, you know, if you guys are doing corn every year, you, you burning it off or put nitrogen back into the soil? No, um, we definitely don't burn anything off. They'll occasionally put nitrogen on it. I don't even think they do that that often. We've got, you know, it's, it's kind of a good sandy clay mix, you know, some of the lower flood zone ground it's got a little more of a sandy clay to it and then we've got you know the top 80 doesn't flood really at all unless it gets you know the river just got to get really really big for that to get water but you know for whatever reason i mean our our farmers around here they they predominantly like the corn i mean they'll do soybeans every once in a while they'll throw you know they'll throw a year or two of soybeans in but you know, I I don't hear much complaining from them. Like I said, we don't farm it ourselves in that department. So, but I don't, you know, I don't ever hear them complaining about that stuff. You know, typically it's more water driven. I would kill for, I'd kill for a 10 acre patch of corn. I mean, you just, you don't see guys, it. There's a, there's a handful <laughs> of guys down there in Arkansas that, that plant some little corn plots that do pretty damn good. I know yeah. Yeah. There's a price to pay for it also. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Oh, man. So prior to, you know, prior to y'all having the farm, was that just ag property or was it a dump yeah. club? Or? No, it was it was always just agricultural. We So my buddy I was telling you about earlier, Mike Conklin, he's a, he's a good buddy of mine, hunt, hunted with him since we were kids. We actually were in a lease on an island that is, you know – you could damn near hit a golf ball from our property over to this island. It's the middle of the Ohio river. It's about a 1600 acre Island, I believe. And I want to say, I don't know, close to two thirds of it's tillable. And the old, the old guys that farmed it, you know, they had a, I wouldn't even really call it a club. They had 10 guys that paid them a little bit of money every year. They farmed it and they had some goose pits out there. And man, I was lucky enough to hunt out there with, some guys for probably 10 years i mean i just i i wasn't it was really just through my buddy mike that you know we got his dad knew the farmer and then we were kids and we got to start going out there and then as we got older we started paying our own money to go out there and you know and then one day that island went up for sale and new owners bought it and we lost the lease and you know that was kind of when i at that point in time i didn't really hunt our own property very often i mean maybe maybe once or twice a year at, at most i was always in you know better back then it was a better situation to be out on that island it was just better hunting the birds have always felt a sense of security out there i think being completely surrounded by the ohio river and it would occasionally flood and then if it did flood it would leave some trap water in there so i mean it was a it was a hot spot for a long time and, oh yeah, uh, uh, that sounds incredible, man. <laughs> yeah, if you you can see it, you get on Google Earth or anything, you can see this island. It's a pretty it's a pretty cool spot. But, you know, I mean, you had to boat there. You had about a twenty minute boat ride down the Ohio River to get there, and then you 
docked the boat and went up, you know, climbed up through the woods and we had some trucks parked up there. And then you take a truck all the way out and park by the tree and walk. And I mean, it was, it wasn't anything like what as easy as we do now, where you just pull up to the barn, jump in a side by side, run down to the blind and you're, you know, you're hunting 15 minutes oh, later, but yeah, I mean, imagine just running out it was worth the it. tractor. <laughs> yeah. Now you gotta take a boat ride, get in the truck, go to the gas station. <laughs> I mean, they farm this thing. They, they, they farm this thing with, uh, normal farming equipment. Like I said, there's probably a thousand acres out there that are tillable and they got a ferry boat. And I mean, they ferry the, they ferry the grain across. They, it's, it's a whole operation. That's for damn sure. They're logging it right now too. I've seen them them logging it right now for the first time in a long time, which it needed it. So it's a good thing. Yeah. Well, as long as they're not cutting down timber in the woods. No, it's, uh, it's probably much needed. It's, it's old, you know, it's probably never been logged, never been, uh, never really been managed as a property and i think i think the guys you know have done a, a good job with upgrading the property you know they're making it better so that's good to hear yeah for sure well, spe- speaking of that so tell tell me a little bit about the process because there's no way the farm looked anywhere near as good as it does now when you guys first got it so tell me no, a little bit about, um, about that yeah so like when dad and them first bought it i mean it was uh they put a they put a uh, thirty foot storage container in the ground, created a little slough and ran electric to it, and it was predominantly just that pit. You know, they had a couple other spots throughout the property that were just, you know, I almost called them puddles. I mean, they weren't big enough to really attract ducks, and they they had a handful of guys, basically just buddies, that all kicked them some money, and they you know, they all hunted that big pit and it just really wasn't my MO back then. You know, I was, I was younger and Michael and I were still out, you know, chasing them on the river and going to our lease on the Island. And I was taking trips all the time and just wasn't my thing. And then when we lost the Island, then my tune kind of changed. I was a little older and uncle Sam was wanting, you know, some retirement (laughs) money. So they worked that deal out and I just basically asked dad, I'm like, look, if I, you know, if, if I come back and we start really getting after this, you know, are are you willing to, are you willing to listen to me and and let me, (laughs) let me try to steer this thing. And yeah, it's going to take some money and it's going to take a lot of sweat equity and yada, yada, yada. But I think we can do it. And I mean, he was obviously he was all about it. I mean, he's to the age where it was like, hell yeah, let's do it. You know, there was no, no thinking about it really. And we just, Kind of, I'd kind of always had a plan, you know, in the back of my mind, even I think, you know, when I was younger, I knew the best scenario to killing birds was on this tree line because, you know, my whole life, anytime the river would get right, it kind of starts shooting out of this creek first and it'll back, you know, back water out into this field and it's right up against this tree line. Well, you know, my whole thing with dad was like, we just got to recreate that. Like we have to make that same scenario happen in a way that we could control the water and then once we figure that out then we're going to build a duck blind on this point that they've always liked you know it's just a it's not even a big point but it's just it's kind of a little little bitty point off the edge of the woods and they can hit it from three or four different wind directions if they really want to bad enough and it's you know it's secluded and so we did did some dirt work and here we are, you know, we, we built the duck blind, the duck blinds. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've seen the pictures. It's, it's a really cool feather in our cap down there. Oh, it was just, it was, you guys a, aren't it was a hell of a lot of fun to build that thing. I can you, tell you that. You, yeah. You want to talk about a Hilton 
hotel. I mean, that, <laughs> that's your duck pond, man. I mean, that thing's got central heat and air. Oh, I mean, yeah, they got all that. <laughs> don't, don't, don't go spreading that rumor. There's enough people that already probably think it's too fancy, but. No, it's a uh, it's a cool one. It's it's in the perfect spot. Like I said, we we studied it for a couple years before we put the big permanent blind in that's there now. We we had a smaller makeshift blind that would only hunt four or five guys. But I just you know let's start small. Make sure this is going to work. Make sure that we're not you know mistaken. And then we drew it up and. You know, it's on stilts. I think the floor of it's about five foot off the ground. That way, when the river does come up, we can hunt it, you know, we can boat in and still hunt it, which is really cool, too, that we don't get to do it often, but done it a handful of times. So, just basically, you know, built a new blind and went and got a bunch of old barn wood and stuff from, I think I got old barn wood from three different places. I got some from Vincennes, Indiana and down in Kentucky and basically wanted to make the thing look like it's been there for 50 years even though it's only i guess this will be its fourth fourth season maybe so i mean it, it, that's the way to do it man i there's nothing wrong with walking into a new blind but man when you when you walk into something that's got some character it just tells a story immediately when you walk in you know it gives you gives you the flashback from last season and just yeah we're trying like to uh <laughs> trying to add some different things you know i just i hung some old you know, old metal ducks unlimited signs and stuff like that inside of it. But we, uh, I had like an aerial map made and, you know, pinned some locations on it and then had it laminated and framed and hung up in there. So, you know, when guys are down there that have never been there before, don't really know the farm, you can kind of give them a little better feel of where you're at and how the land lays and what things look like from overhead. And then I also, got a uh shot up shot a banded wood duck last year so i thought you know what Lucky the hell? you so fra- <laughs> framed that had the certificate laminated and framed it and uh hung it up in there and i told the guys that's gonna be our it's gonna be our new thing if i don't we don't shoot a lot of bands it was actually the first band we've shot since we since we built that blind but i told the guys you know from now on if anybody shoots a blind or shoots a band we're gonna you know, get it laminated, frame it, hang it up in there, and just make it a little wall of fame. That's so, pretty cool. Where was it banded at? Oh, I'd have to look back. I want to say it was it was up the Ohio River. I think it was in Ohio, actually, um, uh, about four and a half, five hours away, which was pretty cool because we, you know, it was a banded wood duck, and we've we've got that wildlife management area that I mentioned earlier, sloughs right across the river. They typically will band, you know, I don't know maybe a hundred wood ducks every year. And so when I shot it, I was the only one that shot and it kind of fell. And as soon as it hit the ground, it's you land on its back's feet were up about 60 yards down from me. And I could see the band from then it was brand new, looked like a brand new shiny band. And I walked down there. I mean, I was still excited, but I just assumed that it was, you know, one that was just banded that year across the river and called it in. And it ended up being a, I think it was a three and a half year old bird, you know, nothing too old, but, was still a lot it was cooler that it you know it had been banded further away and traveled that way it was on the property I, I thought it was pretty cool so well hey that that's awesome man congrats I, i'm yeah. uh i lose that on the band drawing every time yeah so I'm, I'm just waiting this on one that was, one this single. one was no question i've been i've lost <laughs> i've lost a many of band drawings myself this one was uh when you're the only shooter there was no question so yeah nothing wrong with yeah. that well, yeah, so sure. that kind of leads <laughs> into my next question i man I, i'm proud of y'all uh i do it every year uh 
I mean, I'm a duck nerd like you, man. I I build wood duck boxes every year, and I feel yeah. like hardly anybody else does that. And I know you guys typically post pictures every year, and man, there's a huge return on it. I don't know why more people don't do it, but tell me there a little is. bit about your success with that. Yeah, there is a bit. There is a there's a nice return on it, and it's I'll, I'll be honest, we don't build ours. There's a there's a company on Amazon that I buy them from. They're made out of cedar. They're really nice. They're really easy to maintain. So we uh. I don't know. I, I don't remember if it was a Ducks Unlimited article. It was something. I was reading something. It may have been on social media, but I was reading something about wood duck boxes and the success rate of them. And, you know, the success rate in a wood duck box compared to a hole in a tree was whatever percentage. And then if that wood duck box is in certain proximity to water, the you know, the the ducklings have an even better chance of survival. And it's just all these things. And I kept reading it and I'm thinking, why the hell don't we do this? You know what I mean? Like we've got the perfect habitat. You know, we typically will have water in our creeks and in our cypress slough and another little area we call a honey hole. I mean, we'll typically have water in all three of those areas until, you know, at least the beginning of May before that stuff really completely starts to dry up. And hell, by then the ducks have hatched and moved on. So it was like, you know, we started with, I think, three or four the first year and we've got six up now and... I really think I've got enough room that I can add probably two more. Maybe I, I could probably even add more than that if I wanted to get way down by the river and, and do some down there too. So, but it works. I mean, it's like you said, there's, there's a big success rate. I mean, we, we would see wood ducks occasionally on the farm, you know, back in the day. And at times you would see a bunch, but I think now we consistently see a bunch, especially early. They don't stick around real long once it starts getting cold. They're typically, you know, gone pretty quick. We did have them stick around a little bit last year, longer than normal, but it was a pretty mild, mild winter last year. But, you know, it's it's cool to see it. I put a couple trail cams up this year on the trees right across from the wood duck boxes. So I got some pretty cool photos of, you know, the hens going in and out and add some turkey vultures on top of the wood duck <laughs> box. That was it's about the only threatening uh, thing I've I've seen that, was like okay well i didn't plan that you know we put coil stock around the bottom of the trees we got some 24 inch coil stock try to keep the coons and squirrels and stuff from being able to climb up them trees and then i try my damnedest to put them on trees that can't be you know that a raccoon's not going to hop from one tree to the next or right whatever you know i try to get it on the more standalone trees and you know if i got to trim some stuff back i'll trim some stuff back and but it works man it was cool we had we had nests and eggs in all six boxes this year. I went around and checked them all. And, you know, I, I feel like when the water was out this spring, we, we saw, you know, when the water gets out, you don't really know if they're all the wood ducks that you grew in house right there on farm, or if they're, you know, cause there's a lot of places around where they, they're nesting naturally. So you don't really know, but I mean, it makes you feel good. We definitely see a, significantly a lot more wood ducks now than we did even three years ago you know yeah so. I, I mean it, and you know they always want to come back to where they were born and then they're gonna yep. bring a friend with them and then it just only increases your odds yep yep and they're pretty ducks they're fun you know i mean we don't like i said we don't we don't kill a whole lot of them so they're just gone too quick you know that's really the only reason why i mean we we did shoot a few more last year than normal but they just you know, they're, they're fun to put the box up, watch it go from a, you know, an empty box to a nest to eggs, to seeing a bunch more wood ducks around. It's just, you know, it's cool. It's just a whole nother level of 
of having your own place and, you know, just seeing the, the fruits of your labor, even if it's small stuff like that, you know, it, it doesn't take much to put a wood duck box up. I mean, if you, yeah. like you said, if you've got them, you know, how you, you need a ladder and a couple screws and, a, and an impact driver and, you know, pick a tree. It's about that yep. easy. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about that. Yeah. So at, at y'all's farm, do you, do you guys have any specific rules or like, you know, as far as like, management practices not really i mean so we don't run this thing like a club it's it's we don't take money from anybody it's basically you know we got dad and i and we got a couple other guys that are just really good family friends that will be down there every weekend if we need them no matter what no matter if it's 100 degrees or if it's you know rebrushing blinds in the season or whatever so you know we don't we don't operate as a club but i do think we sort of treat it like a club to an, to an extent i mean you know nobody's basically nobody's going down there and hunting without dad or myself you know and we don't we don't hammer it a lot we we typically don't hunt through the week hardly at all unless it's just the right situation you know the right wind for this blind or the right you know we don't we got a few other spots that we'll hunt that aren't in the big blind but you know we just that's part of why i think we don't have any real desire to be a club i mean obviously we've had people come to us over the years that have offered us money to you know join and have access and it's just not i don't think it's anything we really want to do you know you, you it's so it's different when you take money i mean you know you net you've oh, got yeah. to treat it you got to treat it a little bit different you feel a little more obligated i think you guys are doing more of the group thing but you know where everybody's pitching in the same but if you you know if you start taking people's money and you're running it more like a club I think the obligation changes and at least it would for me, you know, that then I'm more, way more, I mean, I worry enough about having the right guys and killing birds when we invite, you know, because typically we just invite friends, you know, and it's different, you know, the same core guys, we can hunt eight to 10 guys in this blind. And, you know, it's basically the same four of us every weekend. And then we're always, you know, dad will bring a couple of buddies or I'll bring a couple of buddies or, you know, we'll invite Ethan up this weekend. We'll invite so-and-so next weekend. And, Sometimes it works out and you kill them, and sometimes it works out and you just eat a damn good breakfast. You know, it just, <laughs> it, it just depends. But the nice thing about that is that we don't, you know, we don't feel that obligation to anyone to really, you know, produce or get them in there on the right day or any of those things. It's just like, hey, man, you know, some days we're gonna get them, some days we're gonna we're gonna eat a good breakfast and and you know shoot the shit and have a good time. And, I mean anybody that duck hunts anybody that does this sport they know that you know times in that blind are some of the best times you're going to have and some of the most memories and it ain't always about how many you're killing it's just you know the that time spent down there with your friends and your family and the good days are great but even the bad days are pretty damn good you know what i mean yeah i was gonna say i i by no means ever imagined i'd be you know running a duck club but it's the same. I feel the same way you do. You know, I'm, I'm not in it to make money. I, I'm not right. pocketing anything at the end of the year. Everybody is just a bunch of buddies. We all pay the same amount. We all do the same amount of work, and we just go out there to have fun. You know, we, yeah. We've had a good group for a while, and finding a good group is almost impossible to find nowadays. It seems like that's the key, man. That is that is a huge deal, and and you know how it is. You. You're always going to have other opinions and, and that's all fine and dandy. But like when you get a group of guys that's genuinely pulling in the same direction, it makes things so much more enjoyable. It, it makes, I honestly believe it makes things happen so much faster because, you know, if you've got 
you know, division among the ranks, you got guys pulling in different directions. It just doesn't work. And I've, I've really seen that from afar more than I've ever been involved in it. I've, I've got buddies, you know, that are in clubs. I've got buddies that are guides that work for clubs, you know, so you just, you kind of see and hear. And I think that's one of the best things about our place is that it's really just, you know, it's really just dad and I kind of doing whatever the hell we want to do and inviting the buddies we want to invite. And, you know, we don't, we don't really feel any obligation to anything and it's, it's better that way, at least there. I mean, like I said, I've, I've done, I've done the other stuff before and I love it. You know, I'm, I've been member in clubs and I've went on guided trips and I still do those things every year. I, I love it. You know, I go to North Dakota every year, go to Arkansas every year, you know, it's staple, but getting to do it at home and not having to run it like a club, not having that stress or obligation is, is a lot of fun. A lot, oh, yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, dude, man, I'm, that's the ultimate goal down the road is, you know, buying some property, but it seems like the property we want to buy, you can't farm it. There's no money to be made off of it right. down the road. It's just strictly duck property and dropping half a million dollars on property in prime duck country. <laughs> it's a little out of the it, books. It is. I get it. I get it. And that's the good thing about this place. I mean, you know, it, it, the sharecropping that we do with the farmers, I mean, it, it predominantly pays, you know, most of at least what is considered the mortgage on the property. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. But anything you're doing, you know, I've got buddies that just like you said, I mean, they own property down in Arkansas and it's a swamp, you know, and the, the only way they've ever been able to recoup any money back on that farm they wanted so bad was, you know, to essentially run it as a guide service, run it as a duck club and, and use some of those guys' money to, you know, cover the bank note or whatever it is. But, you know, luckily we've got some farming that helps out with that and does that. We're not out of, coming out of pocket too much to cover y'all, payments. So, yeah, y'all are smart. About Very it. lucky. You know, like I said earlier, it's it's dad. It's dad paying the bills. I mean, we share some of the costs on a lot of the upgrades and stuff that we're doing. But at the end of the day, it's it's his farm and. He's just nice enough to let my ideas kind of, kind of flow, and and he works. I mean, don't get me wrong; he's not he's not giving me a blank check. He's not letting me do everything I want to do. <laughs> but if nice. we got to do everything I wanted to do, we'd we'd be oh man, we could talk for three hours tonight. But yeah. So what what's been the most challenging project? And I I got my guess, but I could be wrong. But what's been the most challenging project? since you guys have taken on the property? Um, I mean, the dirt work and stuff, I don't know that there was really that much that was challenging about it because we weren't doing it. You know what I mean? Like, we we had a we had an excavating contractor that's right up the road from us that's, you know, guys we've known forever and been friends with them. And then our farmers as well, they do a lot of dirt work and kind of help tailor it. Like, once, once the initial stuff was done, they've kind of tweaked and helped, you know, from their perspective as the farmers, you know, how to help get water off and things like that. But, you know, I mean, that's still, it's been an ongoing project too. That You know, the river gets up so big, the road was washing out. So we finally agreed to put some crushed up concrete, you know, basically like big ass rock on top of this road to try to keep it from washing out so bad because the river was just eating it up every year, spending, you know, a couple grand more to try to dress the road up, fix the road back up. And so, I mean, that's been a challenge just trying to tweak and get everything just right with the dirt work. But, you know, the duck blind was, the duck blind was its own challenge. 
but I mean, man, it was fun. You know what I mean? Like there was never, I mean, so a little backstory, like my family, my dad owns a construction company, a commercial construction company. You know, we don't do much residential work, but you know, so I grew up around construction my whole life. I went, you know, I was in the carpenters union, went through the apprenticeship, was in the union for 15 years. And you know, that was my trade. So we knew when we were going to build this thing, like it was going to be cool. And, you know, we sketched it all out ahead of time and, you know, got a materialist together, did all the things and treated it almost like a little, little job site down there and just got everything we needed and got all the tools and generators. And, you know, it was definitely challenging and, you know, we built it around trees. We've got one big tree that goes up through the middle of the kitchen. We got a couple smaller trees up in the front and on the corners. I tried to, you know, tried to do that on purpose. We didn't want to go in there and start cutting a bunch of shit down and lose all your cover and you end up with a big ass box in the woods, you know, so <laughs> that's try to keep the trees and build around it. And I've, I've been to clubs in Arkansas where they had done the same thing. So I basically just, you know, you go to some of these big clubs in Arkansas and you get to hunt some really cool blinds and a, same thing. I've been to some cool blinds in Missouri and down on real foot. And it was one of those deals where it was just like, you know, you steal a little, little, thing from this one and a little thing from this one and you're just putting all these mental notes to go together over the years and you're thinking okay well you know i got a dog stand off my side i got a separate set of steps out the front and a door right there on my end so i got the dog right on my left steps going down it was just like taking those little things that you had seen work so well at other places and trying to put them all into your own spot and so it was kind of a design build you know we drew we sketched most of it out and then a lot of it we just kind of built on the fly as we went and so challenging yes but fun i mean it was it was one of the coolest things we've done and I, i've always said i mean that blind was built to be there i mean i i would hope barring a hurricane in southern indiana that that blind's there after i'm dead gone, you know <laughs> i mean it's it's built to withstand it so we've we've been completely almost completely underwater three different times you know your biggest fear when you're building something like that in a floodplain is the buoyancy of that blind is that you know does it ever get so buoyant that it will you know essentially drive the you know the concrete post the you know everything out of the ground and luckily we've we've been far enough underwater three different times now that i feel pretty confident that's not never never gonna happen i mean the floor's got gaps and it. it's designed to let the water go up through it you know what i mean so oh i've i've it's I've worked built a, i built a brand new blind one year and man, the hundred year flood came through that area. It was eight foot underwater. I oh, was like, wow. this thing's gone. It's toast. Sure enough, when the river went down, still there. All, it was still there. My decoys were still hooked on. My <laughs> cast iron stuff got trashed. My brand new grill was ruined, but the blind but the blind was there. The brush was gone, but she was still there. I couldn't. Yeah, we did. We lost a lot of brush definitely this year. We we've had a couple of floods year, years before, and our brush really maintained pretty well. I think part of it was just you know we use a lot of oak. We cut a lot of oak for our brush up here, and then we'll mix in some cane and some different grasses and shit, and just try to give a whole blend of stuff. But the oak do pretty well, and I I think part of it this year was just that it was you know some of it was a couple years old and probably a little rotted and. You know, I, I don't just lay it there. I'll, you know, I'll take a drill and a screw gun and some long screws and I'll try to physically attach some of it to the outside of the blind just to, you know, if it's attached, then you can kind of tuck and stack and 
almost play Legos with your brush and just, you know, kind of get everything how you want it. So, but yeah, brushing's definitely going to be a, it's going to be a big, uh, big undertaking this year. We're almost starting from scratch. The, the river basically wiped it clean this year. So. Yeah. I was going to say, you guys, uh, we got about what, 45 more days before you better yep. have all those tree branches cut off. Cause those leaves are going to start dropping. Yep. Yep. That's what we try to do. We, you know, we got a few buddies around here that got tree trimming and contractors like that we just put the word out like hey you know you get a pin oak or a red oak holler at me and we'll show up with a dump truck and throw as many limbs as we can on there and haul them down there and dump them and then throw them on the back of the side by side and works out kind of nice you know you got you got people you know take advantage of them because all they're doing is throwing that stuff in a shredder most of the time anyway so yep <laughs> nice dad dad was actually cutting down a cutting down a tree this weekend in his backyard he had a little pin oak and he's been saying starting to get into the power lines and he's been saying for the last couple of years that he was going to take a bunch of limbs off of it well i get a call from my mom this weekend you know i'm down at the farm putting our first load i'm already getting it up on the roof of the duck blind and i get a call from my mom and she's mad at me because she said i should be there helping <laughs> i said what, what the hell is he doing and she said well he's He's on a ladder. He's trimmed all, all he all he was going to do was trim the lower limbs off of the pole saw just to top off the truck. Well, he went and dropped that truck and decided he was going to go ahead and just basically get every leaf off this thing. You know, it's probably a 20 foot tree. It's not real big, but big enough. He doesn't need to be on top of the six foot ladder with a chainsaw in his hand trying to cut this thing off. And my mom's mad because he won't listen to her and get off the ladder and <laughs> she's mad at me because i'm not there to catch him if he falls on me you know i'm like what the hell am i gonna do he's bigger than i am so. but oh, he got man. it done he always gets it done somehow some way he, he gets it done and doesn't end yeah. up in the hospital so yeah it's just in his blood man that's just how those guys are exactly yep you're exactly right well so i've never i've never hunted indiana but uh, i'm curious you know the big talk in Arkansas, Missouri is, you know, these birds are shifting towards the central flyway. And then, you know, guys in middle Tennessee say, man, these birds are moving. They're not doing what they used to do. Have you guys noticed anything over the past few years as far as birds changing or? Yeah. I mean, so, and I've heard, you know, I've heard you on some of these other podcasts, you've gotten into the weeds on some of the stuff before. I, I think it's a lot of things. We've definitely seen a major shift. I mean, I, when I was, in my mid-20s, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I was 25 years old and running the river and hunting the island and doing all those things. And we would kill the shit out of Canadian geese. I mean, we just, the honkers were here. They were at the refuge. They were at Hovey Lake, which is, you know, 30-minute drive down the road from us, another, you know, wildlife management area. And we got a pretty decent amount of ducks, but we would never see a speckle belly or snow goose and i i mean when i say never like it was a freaking unicorn if you saw it's a like seeing a belly canadian or... goose in arkansas you yeah. never see and, it. And it's, you're exactly <laughs> right it was almost polar opposite to what you'd see in arkansas and i'd say over the last 10 years that has changed so dramatically i could not tell i bet it's been five years since i've killed a honker in in our on our farm and we've really? been there all the time and I mean, now we kill specks there every year. We'll have, you know, we don't chase the snow geese. I've had, you know, I've, I've gotten to be some pretty good buddies with Jonathan Olson, snow addictions. And 
you know, I, I watch that dude and what he does down in Arkansas in the spring conservation seasons. And it's like, you know, do I, do I really want to put that kind of effort in to killing snow geese on my farm that are so hit and miss? I mean, we, we may get 20 to 30,000 of them on our property one day and they'll have you salivating thinking, man, I can go out there and do this tomorrow. <laughs> and the second you put the effort into it, those damn things will go the complete opposite direction out of the refuge the next day. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, we, but, it, but to your point, flyaway changed. Absolutely. And I, I'd say that I think the Canada's don't come down. They don't come as far South as what they used to. And I don't know that they've as much shifted. Maybe they would. I mean, I've got buddies in Southern Illinois, Missouri that, I know they're starting to notice it a little bit like crab orchard, Marion area. They don't get near the birds that they used to get. I mean, it was nothing for them to have 150,000 Canada's 15, 20 years ago. Shit, probably more than that. You know, and now I don't think they do anything near that. Even at their peak numbers, I don't think they get anywhere near that. So yeah, oh, I, I think, I, totally I think agree. a lot of the, I think a lot of the big, big Canada's are just, they're staying North. They just, you know, like you say about a mallard duck, they're lazy. Well, you know, you've got warm water discharge lakes at powerhouses all throughout, you know, northern Indiana, Chicago areas, and you've still got your river systems, and then you've got tons and tons of cornfields. And I think those geese over the years have just wised up to the fact that 99% of the powerhouses in this state are considered no hunting, so it's essentially a refuge and they've got cornfields around and they've got open water yeah and i well, don't well, think they need more. to come you know <laughs> no matter how cold it gets unless that snow covers up their food source they don't have any reason to come any further south and yeah. even you know even when chicago gets hammered they don't have to come all the way to southern indiana anymore they can stop middle of the state and there might only be three inches of snow and the canada goose doesn't give a shit about three inches of snow that doesn't bother them one bit you know what i mean oh yeah so now, the ducks, I, I can't say that I've really noticed a big difference in the ducks. The geese, you know, the, the different species, for sure, that's changed. And and the Canada's not coming as far south has changed the ducks. We don't get as many, but, I mean, I think it's, you know, like, like you guys have talked on here before, I think it's a combination of a lot of different things. I think it's those same things, open water and food. I do think there's a lot of guys similar to us, most of them on a lot bigger scale, but you know, they've invested their own money and they're leaving some standing corn and they're leaving this and they're leaving that. And, you know, they've figured out ways to control water. And, you know, even when things freeze up, you know, yeah, we don't have all these, you know, heated ponds like everybody calls them, but yeah, everybody's got <laughs> ice eaters. You know what I mean? Everybody's got ice eaters. And then, like I said earlier, you got these warm water discharges at these powerhouses, some of these lakes, it doesn't matter how cold it gets, they will not freeze. You know, they got 60 degree water in them. And those places are going to hold birds and same thing. I just think some of the ducks don't get as far South because of weather. You know what I mean? Like, unless that snow covers it up, food up, you know, they're just, they're not coming. So. Yeah. And I, man, you'll, we'll have to revisit this question in about four years, but I'm going to be real curious to see what happens. So they gave us one more speck on our limit in Arkansas this year. And I'm curious what the uh, the five year effect's going to be on that. If if that's going to just put more pressure on them, 
and they're going to start shifting over even more. You know, I, I saw specs in Nashville last year. I never see specs. I know a couple of buddies that have shot them here, but that's not a common bird we see in Nashville. Right. So I'll, I'll be real curious to see. How I guess this year those goes. specs when they when they come down, you know. So we're you know we are basically two hours due north of Nashville, essentially. I mean, my brother's been in Nashville for fifteen plus years, so I know it well. You know, you guys are probably a little west of us, but I guess those specs when they when they get to us, you know, they get to us, they get to the Slews area over here. They've got to be heading southwest when they go, like they're cutting more over Missouri, Arkansas, headed towards Texas, I guess, because you would think you would already see a lot of them in Nashville just based on what we see in our neck of the woods. But they've got to be cutting further west, you know, after they leave us. If you're yeah. not normally seeing them in Nashville, because I would think you would commonly see them in Nashville as close as we are. Man, but, I, it's it's super rare. Really? I mean, we've we've got a lot of local Canadians, and you know we get we get a handful of ducks here and there, but man, they're just park ducks in Nashville for the most part. <laughs> so you don't have to give me specifics, but where where are you at in Arkansas? Because I've I've done the Arkansas. I I used to go to Arkansas every year for duck hunting. Yeah, I'm, now I go uh, every year for snow goose hunting in the spring, and I don't do the Arkansas duck hunt anymore. I just, you know, it kind of got. I mean, we we had some really really good times down there, and really good guys. Met a lot of good people, still friends to this day. You know that I've met down there and talked to throughout the season. Just text them and check on things, see how they're going. But yeah, we're know. in uh, North Central Arkansas, and it, it if if I put a map in front of you, it's funny. You know, for as long as I've been in Arkansas, you know, I started out my first year is way north Arkansas. And it it just it didn't do it for me. It was the worst year I've ever had. Really? So I dropped I dropped south and then I went maybe a little bit too far south, but it is what it is. But yep. every year since then I've slowly been climbing up, chasing the birds, because you know, it it's nothing for us to drive 50, 60, 70 miles in an afternoon just to see what birds are doing in different areas. We'll, we'll scout all afternoon long and just figure out what these birds are doing. And it seems like every year we're moving just a little bit further north and a little bit further west. Yep. And, you know, right now this is about as far as I want to drive. I got a four-and-a-half-hour drive every week. <laughs> That's so about I, what we were whenever we <laughs> – I mean, when, my brother and I actually leased an 80-acre flooded rice field in, in Arkansas one season, and I don't know, probably – shit 10 years ago and uh it was all right the hardest part was just getting guys to go down there on a whim you know i mean we didn't have any set structure to it and we're five hours i mean he's in nashville so we're about the same i, I was like five a little over five hours and he was you know four four and a half something like that but we'd go down there and stay in a hotel and you know drag as whatever buddies we could with us and we had a few really good hunts but i i was going i won't make you divulge your spot but you can tell me if you were you know halfway in the neck of the woods we would go to around forest city arkansas and there was a guy guy that we hunted with down there and then we had some guys that we'd made buddies with down there that were private landowners but you know we'd hunt with them once or twice while we were down there but we do that every every year usually around christmas sometime in december yeah because you you hunted with old south didn't you yeah we hunted with old south yeah yeah blake's an awesome guy yeah Yeah, we've had a lot of of good times down there jared jared um Blankenschmidt, one of our good buddies, he he guided for him, and we would 
we would love to go down there. Just, you know, them guys are a good time. It's at the end of the day. And then you got Greg and Jim's a little I'm sure. If oh, anybody's yeah. ever been in that neck of the woods, they've been to Greg and Jim's and had, had lunch or had breakfast and, if you, you know, haven't those, been there, you yeah, none of that. <laughs> the uh, I'll tell you the coolest place ever down there that that went out of business. Um, the owner passed away, but was Mallard. So, you ever been there, the Mallard Steakhouse? No, I hadn't been there. Man, that, there so it, it was it was in Forest City, I think. I believe it was in Forest City, like in town. You know, there's not much of a town there, but it was in town, and they had a it was a big neon mallard green head light on the outside of the place was called mallards and i mean you could go in there and it was just you know it wasn't it wasn't anything fancy little hole in the wall spot but it was really nice amazing food amazing steaks good drinks and it was just like for at least once sometimes twice for our three or four days we were going there for dinner for sure you know what i mean oh, yeah. like it was a it was an absolute necessity my brother and i used to always joke we wanted those neon lights some if that place ever went out of business, we one of those neon lights just to take back home and hang on in the barn somewhere someday. You know what I mean? Just because they're so cool. So yeah, I don't know what ever happened to them. Hopefully somebody's got them, and <laughs> hopefully somebody down there in Arkansas, as many diehard duck hunters, hopefully somebody's got their hands on them by now and and done something with them because they were amazing. Yeah, the closest so. steakhouse that we go to, and I mean, man, you better make reservations on Monday, but. It's a place in Wiener called uh, Pintails. It's like a 15-minute drive from our house. And, yeah. Man, man, every big swinging dick is in there on Saturday night. And it's, really? a, it's a blast. They got karaoke going on, really good steaks. but the, And the food's great, but, man, it's just a blast. You get a table for 20 guys. It, it's a good How time. far away is that from, like, Forest City, Gillette area? Or where, where is it? I feel like I've been there before. Like, maybe just once. I don't know. Maybe not. But I feel like I've been to a place similar to what you're describing down there. Yeah, if you're uh, – you'd probably take 49 from Forest City. And, I shoot, I bet it's about an hour drive from I Forest feel like City. we did it. I really yeah. do. I feel oh, like it's somebody it. talked us into it one night. and We didn't normally want to go that far and, you know, having a few drinks and whatnot. But – Oh, I think we did. I think we did. Do it. Yeah, I think we did do it one night. It was like, yeah, that place was cool. So. Yeah, it's a good time. But well, so I got to ask you. Just I know there's. I'm not the only one. You're not the only one. I know, and other guys probably think about this all the time. Uh, and I like that you documented this. You posted a picture a while back, and I don't know what you call the hole, but it's your big cypress hole. You you opened it yep. up. You cleared some brush out. Most guys would be scared to do that because, you know, what we think looks good and what a duck thinks looks good are two totally different things. Did you find that beneficial immediately, or did that take a little bit longer? For no, the I think imprinted? it was. I think it was immediately beneficial. I mean, so don't get me wrong. If that's got water in it, there's going to be wood ducks in it. Period. Right. I don't care what you did. There was always going to be wood ducks in it. That's like there, there's a whole big cypress slough that runs through this lower portion of Indiana and you can see it on Google earth or on X, you know what I mean? So there, there's, there's a big natural cypress slough. The cypress trees are all protected and you know, it's funny. They're not in Kentucky across the river, but in Indiana they're protected, which is awesome. I love it. I yeah, mean, that's don't get good. me wrong. There's, there's a lot of money there that people would probably take advantage of, you know, getting the timber off of some of them if if they weren't protected so i'm glad that they are but you know we basically just talked about it dad was it was really more dad's idea i knew it would work immediately because i'm like well hell yeah if 
if you want to clear it, just go through here, get rid of all the undesirable trees. We don't have any hardwoods. It's just cypress slough. Okay. Get rid of yeah. all this trash, you know, drift from over the years and just old undesirable shitty trees and stuff like that. Basically leave the big mature cypress. And what it did was it, it opened up your possibilities of planting, you know? So now you see all these guys, you know, down your way that, you know, like Rusty Creasy, the Coca-Cola woods and these guys, they're planting wild rice or some type of a moist soil seed in these swampy slough areas. And now we got sunshine, you know, where we used to not, you had just enough canopy that it was hard to get anything to grow. Well, we, you know, that's the big, that was the key to the whole thing. And it's worked. I mean, we don't hunt it. It's so close in proximity to our blind that like they would have to get in there really, really thick. And I mean the mallards, like we'll wood duck hunt it. We'll stand in the timber and the cypress holes, like stand in waders and do, you know, kind of like our version of a timber hunt for early season when there's just wood ducks around. But when the mallards start getting in there, number one, there will never be as many mallards in that hole as there will be out in the field in front of the blind. So it's really, really hard for me to, they just, they'll get in there, but you know, there's flooded corn and everything else out there. We won't have, you know, the, the crop doesn't do as well down there. It floods so easily. The Creek doesn't take the river. You know, we can get a one inch rain and the Creek will flash flood. And if it flash floods, it's, it's putting that Cypress hole underwater. So if my, if what I've got planted in there hasn't already gotten six or eight inches tall, it'll choke a lot of it out, you know, especially if it's in there multiple times. So the crop doesn't do great in there, but I mean, the ducks do get in there, but it's hard to justify going in there and hunting them unless it's going to be just a one or two man deal. And I've always got six or eight guys at least that want to be down there every weekend. So I don't hunt it very often, but I, I don't, I don't care about hunting it. I really don't like, it's just one of those spots that we've created that we know the ducks like the deer like it the freaking coyotes that I need shot. They like it. The freaking turkeys like it. I don't know. I mean, I got cameras down there and I just get a lot of pictures. I, I think there's a sense of security for all the, all the wildlife we got down there. We see a lot of cool pictures and it's just cool. Like I can go down there, man, and sit in the side by side and I can just, I don't even have to do anything. You know, I can just roll in there and get in the, you know, drive in the side by side when it's dry, like it is right now and get out and spend 10, 15 minutes, just walk around. I mean, the trees are, massive and they're cool and you know it's just a it's a cool little spot to be and then you add ducks in the winter and it's it's just a it's one of my favorite spots down there and i don't i don't have to even pull the trigger to love it as much as i do it's it's a it's an awesome little spot you have to check it out someday yeah i think i think just about anybody would think the same way you know what i mean you get in there and it's just it's got a cool feel to it yeah i was gonna say i mean i i was i was pleasantly surprised and shocked about how pretty some of your – I mean, obviously anybody can take a good picture, but, I mean, you guys have multiple pictures of your timber hole, and I was like, man, that that is a well-manicured spot. And, and I, I love that you pointed it out. You know, you guys went through and at least did the research to say, hey, we're not cutting down any desirable trees. Let's yeah. cut out what's not desirable, what's not producing food, and let's put some stuff back into it to where we can get a little bit more sunlight, a little bit more exposure. And if you want to put food out – You've got it. And yeah. it just adds an additional spot. Yeah. It's it's cool. It's a lot of fun to watch them. You know, I, I go down there. during Once duck season gets here, I, like I said, we don't hunt it a lot through the week. So I'll go down 
almost every Friday morning before work, I'll go down and I'll spend the first 30, 45 minutes of my day. You know, I'll, I'll put camo on. I don't take a gun or anything. And I walk to, I mean, I may drive the side by side partially that, you know, part of the way. And I'll walk in because there's almost always ducks down there, whether it's 50 ducks or it's 5,000 ducks, there's always ducks and I don't want to bump them. You know, I'm, I, I never want to run birds off anywhere at our place if I can avoid it. And sometimes I'll stumble, you know, into the cypress slough accidentally, especially when they first started using it and I'd bump them on accident because I wasn't expecting them to be in there. But I've gotten to the point now where it's like, I'm, I'm very cautious, but man, when you, when you can get close to, we had a big tree fall a couple of years ago, right, right by the entrance to the cypress hole. And it was a perfect spot where I could just slide down there, kind of walk up behind this tree and this root ball. And I could just post up and I was only about 60 yards from it. And I could watch And when those mallards come down through those trees into that hole, and, you know, it's just like all the videos you see on, on Instagram or TV all the time, of flooded timber hunts. I've never done a flooded timber hunt. Like I've never done a true go stand in the water flooded timber hunt in Arkansas. I've always been more in the buck brush and some of the big blinds and rice fields and stuff like that. I've never something, something one of these days, dad and I are going to go do, we're going to get hooked up with the right guy and, I was gonna say whoever come, that may be, and go do it, and get him on a get him on a hunt before he gets too old to to trek in there. You know what I mean? But if you if you want to cool trade a hunt, with, if you want to trade a hunt, man, <laughs> we can I, do it. Yeah, I was gonna say we we don't we do not pressure our timber, man. We are heavy on pressure management. It's uh, yeah, you got to be. You know, I mean, if if you're small and you don't have a even if you have a lot of ground, I mean, I think even the even the biggest I. You know, I know you've had Luke on. The biggest clubs in this country will tell you that managing the pressure drives so much of your success. And I don't think it matters if you're Habitat Flats, you know, like the Mecca, or your little bitty Fulton Farm, you know, doing it with just your dad and a couple buddies. The more you can manage the pressure, the more them ducks can get comfortable the better off you're going to be. And I'm one of those guys, as much as I would love to duck hunt every single day of my life, I know that as far as shooting birds goes, look, you're always going to have a good time in the duck blind. I don't care where you're at, just about who you're with. You're going to have a good time. But the killing birds part of it is what, I mean, it's why we do all this stuff that we do. You know, don't, don't get it twisted. We want to kill them. That's why we put the work in. But you just, you know, you get, you get so much more reward out of it if you just manage, you know, manage the guy's expectations, manage the pressure you're putting on the birds, trying to only hunt the weekends. And even even at that, I don't like hunting that blind every weekend. Like, don't get me wrong, I just soon be in there every weekend because you're gonna you're gonna eat a breakfast like never before, even <laughs> if you don't pull the trigger. Which doesn't happen very often, but if it does, it's great. But there's other spots on the farm that I like to hunt, and if I see the ducks hitting it. You know, like, hey, let's go hunt. Let's go hunt Willow Ridge tomorrow. Hey, let's go back in the very back by the river. Let's go hunt here. Let's go hunt there. Let's whatever, you know. And a lot of times it's just to, we can get far enough away from that blind. You know, you, you may not kill five ducks, but what ducks you're not shooting at are probably going to go start there, start landing back there by your blind. You know what I mean? And then Absolutely. You, you might hit them only on Sunday that weekend. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's, there's a lot of weekends where we, we'll hunt it all day Saturday and most of the day Sunday. And then we pull all our decoys and get out of there and may not even step foot back on that place until, you know, Friday morning again. 
just avoid it for five days entirely. No side-by-sides, no foot traffic, no nothing. And try to keep as many ducks comfortable as you possibly can for as long as you possibly can. And typically it works itself out on the weekends, you know? Oh yeah. And so, you know, for me knowing you and what I know about your place, it totally voids everything Google has to say, you know, cause I, I, I think I texted you a couple you weeks did. ago. And <laughs> that, that was actually shocking to me. Ethan. Like, it, I, when it you, blew my mind. I don't, I just, I don't, I want, I would like to know what that's based off of. Is it based <laughs> off like licenses sold or ducks harvested or what? I mean, what are they, is that, you know, we got like the harvest information program. Is that based on what the Indiana hunting license guys are saying? Like, I don't, oh my guys lying because I don't think it's that bad. I mean, well, yeah. Was, and what was it? Top five worst states or something like that? Top top four worst places, and the one below you is Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you, you got to be kidding me! I mean, it the his there's there's history of duck hunting oh, yeah. in Indiana. It goes oh, yeah. way Major back, Major way history. back. And if then, you ever look up, look up Hovey Lake, you know, I mean, if anybody's out there that's unfamiliar, look up Hovey Lake. I mean, Hovey Lake is the old school Mecca. Like it's a, it's almost a small version of real foot. A lot of, a lot of big mature cypress trees. They're all dead now. And you know, but I mean, this, that place still to this day will get a lot of ducks. It doesn't get anything like what it used to, but I mean, there's pictures from back in the day of this place that are just unbelievable. And it's 30 minutes down the road from our farm, you know, and then, even up through northern Indiana. I mean, I got I got buddies all across the state, and they kill the hell out of them. So when I saw that, I'm thinking, <laughs> man, like, wasn't well, was me. It's all that good. Too. Everybody can stay away. We'll keep them to ourselves. Indiana sucks. Don't come here. It's <laughs> yeah, don't, don't even bother. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, so, it, and it's, it was just funny because, man, y'all y'all kill the crap out of them. I mean, I, I'm not. I'll knock on wood for you, but yeah, man, I hope so. I, y'all. Y'all do such a great job, but I contribute you guys doing a good job to how you manage the property, how you know what you're planning, of, what your pressure, everything. One of my favorite things every year, and I'm not even that big a baseball fan, is uh, is watching the Little League World Series. And I just just a couple weeks ago, they had that. Uh, it was a major league game, but they, you know, Little League World Series was coming up. They were playing some of the regional games and the the Field of Dreams game, the Cubs and reds i think yeah and all i all i remember was you know from field of dreams originally if you build it they will come and that's that's kind of been our motto like you know we don't get the amount of ducks that we used to get but i'm convinced that no matter how small your farm is if you're in close proximity to a river or a refuge or anywhere that you know winters some ducks whether it's short term or long term if you build something and you know you do your research and it's going to take a little effort it's going to take a little money but you you can you can turn a very small piece of property into something you know that's at least going to produce good times you know i'm not saying we're going to go out here and ever run a guide service and have a lodge and all that shit we're, we're probably never ever ever going to do that but we can definitely make something that's fun you know yeah, for family and friends and your kids. And, yeah absolutely absolutely is, it, is there a lot of public land in indiana i've always been curious about that i know you no, got all the lakes, but no there's really not um you know like i said whenever i was younger there you know there's there's a lot of farm property around 
you know, I don't think as much anymore, but when I was younger, there was a lot of farm property around that you could access by boat when the river flooded. And I think most, most of the farmers back then, nobody really cared. You know what I mean? You weren't, you're not rutting up their fields. If you're coming in by boat, I don't think anybody ever really cared. So there was a lot of privately owned ground that was almost treated like public hunting, but it wasn't really public hunting. You know, we don't have a whole lot of that that I'm aware of anywhere throughout the state. I mean, I'm I'm sure there's places. I know we've got, you know, places that like Hovey Lake and, you know, there's Goose Pond and some places like that trickle throughout the state where they do draws and, you know, you can go hunt them. And, I, you know, I know they're open to the general public, but not situations, you know, like what you've got down in Arkansas, Missouri and some of those wild wild boat ride things you got going on yeah, so I, I want to i don't want to be anywhere near that stuff man i've it, never done it but headache. i've seen plenty of videos and heard plenty of horror stories i i don't think that i could do it i think i'd be scared to death you know i mean i'm not as wild as i used to be now i think i'd be life jacket on white knuckle you know on the bottom of the boat so, i prop, props to the guys that do it man they, yeah I mean, those guys sure. they live on the ramp and and they never leave I mean, that, that's just how you got to do it. But No, I agree. It's, it's awesome. It, it, you know, you know, those guys are passionate about it. And that's, that's what this sport needs is, you know, young, passionate guys that, you know, I mean, look, we all, we all go through that phase where you got, I mean, you just, you want to go as hard as you can go. You want to, you want to, ch- I mean, Michael and I used to chase these things. I mean, we, I, you wouldn't believe the stories I could tell you about me and this kid. I mean, he, once he got his driver's license, he basically was allowed to take their little, 16 foot CNF little aluminum boat out. And I mean, for some crazy wild reason, our parents trusted us enough at 16 years old to take <laughs> a boat out on the Ohio river in the dead of winter and, you know, chase ducks and geese with no parental supervision whatsoever. I mean, it was, oh, we're so lucky to be alive. We've had, we've had all kinds of shit happen. We sunk a boat one time. We, we hunted the Island. We, we, there was this little bitty sliver of Island right next to the head of diamond Island. Anytime the river got just right, Mallards would tuck up on the back side of it. So Michael and I, I mean, we're probably in our twenties now. This wasn't we weren't kids then, but we anytime we would always pull up <clears throat> to this little bitty island when the water was just right, it had grassy stuff all the way around the perimeter of it, Mallards would get up in the edge of it. And it was one of our favorite things to do. We'd, you know, we'd kill the boat about 150, 200 yards before this little island. We'd oar the rest of the way in, put three shells in our gun. And we essentially just slip up over the bank. And as soon as you crested the top of this island, it was only maybe 15, 20 yards wide at its widest point. And, you know, ducks would get up, jump, shoot a couple greenheads, And then we'd go pick them up by boat, boat over to the boat ramp, drive the truck out, and we'd hunt geese the afternoon. You know, it was one of our favorite things to do. We'd goose hunt in the afternoon. Well, one day we shoot a couple ducks, pick them up. As soon as he throttles down a little bit, start cutting out across the river to the island, we hit something. Oh, man. And, I mean, we hit something hard, and it was underwater. And we, we actually had to tool back around to try and see what we hit. And it was a railroad tie. And it was <laughs> oh, barely submerged. You know what I mean? Like, this thing was underwater, but it was only probably six or eight inches underwater. So it was still buoyant. It wouldn't sink all the way to the bottom, but it wasn't on the surface either. It was it – was, and we just – Oh, we hit that thing. You know, it. had a little outboard, <laughs> like a little 40 Evinrude on it or something like that. 60 Evinrude, maybe. And we hit, but we, you could tell he didn't really hit it with the prop. He hit it with like the back, very back portion of the boat. 
And I mean, it put him in the steering wheel, it put me in the floor. Thankfully, nothing flew out of the boat, you know, and we're like kind of assessing the situation. Like I said, we made a couple of circles, saw that railroad tie, like, you know, he's like, we're the whole time we're moving, you know, and he's like, are we taking on water? I was like, no, we're not. Surprisingly, I was like, I think we're good. <laughs> like, all right, we're good. So we, we boat on over to the island, tie the boat up to a tree, climb up the high bank, you know, get in the truck, go out. Luckily, it was only two goose limit that year. So we can only kill four Canada's. We go out, hop in the pit, kill our four geese in one flock and pick our birds up, walk out, drive back. I mean, we, we were probably gone less than an hour and a half from start to finish. And I'm about 75 yards ahead of Michael. Now, mind you, this is his dad's boat and it's just me and him. And we're on an island in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> we had cell phones, you know, so because we could call. I remember him calling his dad like in a panic. I come around the high bank and I look down and about the front six foot of this boat is about all that's out of water. I mean, the water, there's so no. much water in the boat <laughs> that the very back of the boat is the water is probably an inch or two from going over the back. And then once that happened, you were going to, you were done. You're going to, oh, yeah, like somebody's coming to pick you up by boat because the boat's gone. And I start screaming at him, you know, he's like 75 yards behind me. So he comes, he's, he's way behind me always when we're walking, he comes walking up and I'm, I'm like, I'm telling him the boat is sinking. Like I'm screaming at him, the boat's sinking and he does not start running because he thinks I'm joking the whole time. And he crosses that high bank and sees it. I mean, and we, I'm running back to a truck. We're getting a five gallon bucket. We're like, he's bailing water out of it. I'm calling his dad and we, the gas can was floating. I'll never forget the gas can was floating. He's into like a, panic i mean a full-blown panic you know and we get enough water out of it that his dad is like telling us over the phone his dad's telling us you got to get in it and you got to like go you know and open the plug and let all the water that's in there run out and I'm, i remember thinking like i don't trust this guy for nothing yeah I mean, no way no I, way I, like, his dad's work? taking us hunting our whole life right so he's done some silly shit to us as boys. Like he's got us in some situations. I can tell you another story when we get done, but so we hop in this <laughs> boat and I'm reluctant as hell. Like I'm trying to convince Conklin to go on his own. Like I'm like, you go, I'll stay on the bank. <laughs> like, we need somebody to call 911. And he convinces me we jump in and it works. Like his dad was right. You know, his dad's way smarter than us. So we get in the boat and once we take off, then the water starts going out and I'll never, you know, we get back to the boat ramp and I mean like, it was like fire drill, you know, like he pulls up as close to the bank as he can get that. I won't go over my waders, <laughs> never stops the boat, like keeps it going. I run up there, back it down. We pull it on. Well, we had severed like six or seven rivets when we hit that thing. Oh, it was an old man. aluminum riveted boat. And it just had sheared these rivets off when we hit it. We didn't know it, you know, at the time we didn't, we didn't know they had shivered off, you know, like they did sheared off like they did. So luckily, you know, crisis averted. We, we uh we got back and everything was fine got the boat fixed no big deal he ended up buying a big michael himself ended up buying a big 19 foot alaskan lun like the next year for and it was his boat yeah i think let's uh, learn there don't buy a yeah. limited boat but always buy a yeah <laughs> for sure you know and i mean don't get me wrong we killed a lot of ducks out of that boat but it was definitely uh it was definitely an eye-opening experience for us i mean we've been oh. We've been in some crazy, crazy situations out on the river with them boats. That Ohio River, I'm, I'm sure you got guys on here that have hunted the river or, you know, close to the Ohio or the Missouri. And 
or the or the Mississippi, which is even bigger. You get you know you get a flood, and them rivers can get gnarly. And oh, like I no said, for some that. crazy reason, our parents let us go out there and do that stuff when we were kids, and it's like. You live and you wow. learn. <laughs> yeah, my, I wouldn't let my my daughter ride the bike, ride her bike down the street that I used to be allowed to ride down nowadays. Much less go out in a boat at sixteen in the dead of winter. I'd be like, "What? No way! You're not doing that. No way!" Oh man, that's that might be one of the best stories I've heard so far. Well, I, uh... I'll, I'll tell you this. I told I told my buddy Conklin today. I said, you know, I said Ethan Ethan's got some questions, you know, that he mentioned I might think about, and I've heard him on other guys talking. You know, what what's the craziest story you've ever had, or best story you've ever had, whatever. You know, I could sit here and tell you all these crazy, awesome duck hunting stories and great hunts and all this, but the craziest thing that we've ever had happen to us. There's a lake called Patoka Lake. You know, it's probably an hour and a half, two hours north of us, and this is back in the early days. We were kids, you know, I'm, I'm talking 10, 12 years old. We used to get to go up there every once in a while. His dad would take us in that same little boat and a little stick shift Toyota single cab truck. And the three of us, you know, him and these two boys, we'd cram in there 10, 12 years old with all our stuff. And we'd go early as can be. And we'd go up there and they'd have several different ramps. Well, certain weekends, the lake, had certain areas that were open and certain areas that were closed to hunting. And somebody at his work had told him that the whole lake was open for hunting on such and such weekend. <laughs> so we get all fired up, you know, us kids, we're, we're all wound up. We're, we're pumped. And I know exactly where this is going. <laughs> oh, I, I bet, I bet you have an idea, but I bet it, I bet my story is better than what you're imagining. So we, we literally get up. To, so mind you that he calls up there and talks to a woman on the phone. That's just like with the lake, not necessarily with DNR or anything. She's like parks and recreation or whatever. And he said, you know, we, we heard that the entire lake's open for hunting, yada, yada, yada. So we're like, she says, yes, you know, that that's accurate. The whole lake's open for hunting. She doesn't elaborate on any other rules or regulations. So we go right we oversleep obviously his dad oversleeps doesn't wake us up we didn't have alarms back then you know it was you didn't have your phone back then to wake you up you, your dad woke you up or you woke up on your own but so his dad wakes us up late probably out drinking or something the night before we're, i think i must say we were probably 12 years old at the time so we go up there we're running late we put the boat there was a specific spot on the lake that always had ducks i mean always had ducks well we get up there that is our target bay we're going to try to get back in the back of this cove back there and it's net this place is never open for duck hunting ever <laughs> so we assume it is well we get, we're running late so we don't even attempt to go there but we're in close enough proximity to it that we don't hear any shooting going on from over there and it's like nine o'clock we've killed one green head it's cold like michael and i are like you know let's go and he doesn't want to leave because i mean this is an ordeal we got a long drive to get there and all this shit so Matt's like, all right, Matt's his dad. He's like, well, let's at least drive over there and just see. He's like, you know, we never heard any shooting. It's hard to believe. But we get over there, and the, the whole bay is frozen all the way out to the main lake, probably two or three inches thick of ice. And we're like, well, that's why nobody's back there hunting. They couldn't get back there, you know? like. So his dad's like, well, what do you guys want to do? 
and we can see with binoculars, the ducks are like tornadoing in back there. They've got open water back in the back of it. We can tell. Oh, man. And he's like, so what are we going to do? He's like, you want me to try to drive the boat on it? See how easy the ice will break? We're like, hell yeah. <laughs> so he pulls the boat up on the ice, breaks through, breaks through. So basically he blazes his own trail all the way back here to this little puddle of open water that probably ain't 60, 70 yards wide. Every duck and goose you can imagine is up and they don't know what the hell's going on. They just go up and start flying around in circles. He tells us, you know, get your guns loaded. We got a boat blind. We're putting the boat blind up. There's two dead snags out in the middle of it. We tie the boat up. And I mean, it's to the point we're 12 years old and his dad is telling us only shoot the fat greenheads. Like don't even, they're so good. Like just pick out fat ones, shoot the fat greenheads. So we're just one shot at a time. We're shooting. We probably got eight or 10 mallards in the boat already. And you know, it kind of would die down for a little bit whenever we would shoot and then it would get, they would want to they'd just funnel back, you know, and they could, it's like they couldn't resist it. And, uh, I look out behind the blind and there's like a dead end. There's like a road that dead ends into the water, like way back in the back of the cove. And I can tell there's a guy standing there <laughs> and I'm like, give me the binoculars. Give me the binoculars. Well, I get the binoculars and I put the binoculars on this guy and this guy has the binoculars on us. <clears throat> and I'm like, then I started, then I started feeling uncomfortable. Even at 12 years old, like I just knew something was off. You know what I Those mean? Those blue like, jeans are a little green, aren't they? And I was, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> Oh my God, what in the, so we started getting nervous. You know, his dad was looking. He started getting nervous. And about, I don't know. I mean, we weren't picking decoys up. We weren't to that point yet. Here comes a boat up the same path that we blazed. <laughs> Ethan, these guys, I shit you not, they had pistols drawn, pointing at us. They didn't know we were kids, obviously. But so this one little part of the lake was literally considered a wildlife refuge because the property owner would literally dump corn into this thing every year and they couldn't stop him from doing it. So they had to turn it into a wildlife refuge area. Oh and it's just gosh. this one cove. So we are in there. No escape route. Didn't even know we were doing anything illegal. He's got his two, he's got his son and his son's best buddy in there. And these guys come up guns drawn. They're screaming. I mean, Michael's so short. They're screaming at him to get his hands up. His hands are as high up as above his head as they will go. And they can barely see his hands over the blind. <laughs> They're screaming at him. He's screaming back. They're up. They're up. I mean, it was just, it was, they took our keys. They took our guns. They towed us back to a boat ramp, not our boat ramp, to another boat ramp where there was a federal, these are DNR guys. There was a federal game warden there waiting on us. Oh my gosh. And thankfully that man was like the nicest, most understanding person that you could have ever encountered in that situation. Because I mean, the DNR guys, talk to Ron the DN, or? The, I don't remember what his name was, but the D, the DNR guys wanted to take Matt to jail, and I mean, I'm pretty sure they would have been okay with with Michael and I being thrown in a military school. Like they were oh, pissed. Man. And this guy, you know, Matt just pleaded his story, and basically was like, you know, do you really think that I would take my son and his friend? into a situation like that, knowingly breaking the law with no escape route. Like, I, you know, I'm just, I'm not that guy. And the game warden just thankfully believed me. I mean, he still, he still had a pretty hefty fine, I think, but we got our guns back, got the boat back. They made us write, uh, they made us write an apology. Le- he made us write an apology letter. Us two boys had to write an apology letter to the DNR for that area up there, which was actually a good thing. You know what I mean? Like it, it taught us a lesson. Know, know where the hell you're going and know what the hell you're doing at a very 
very young age, that was a very eye-opening experience that like, you know, they don't play around if you're doing something like that. So, well, most important thing is, did you get to keep the ducks? We did not. They did not <laughs> let say, us keep anything. I'll, no, I'll they did gladly not. Gladly start uh, drafting a letter right now of my apologies for shooting yeah. a limited green. <laughs> it was it was wild. Oh, it was very man. wild. I did. I honestly didn't think that my parents, especially my mom, I didn't know if she would ever let me go hunting with Big Matt ever again after that. Oh, <laughs> she was, they were all like. You about got these kids thrown in jail, <laughs> man. Oh, that's awesome. That that's, was uh, that's so not that, where I thought it was my, going. That's my crazy story. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, that's great. So, what uh, what's the next big project? Or, I mean, I, I know we're we're cutting it close. As far as hey, we got one more project to do before duck season's here. I mean, we're we're almost there, and I'm sure you guys open up a little bit before we do. We but, are. Uh, I mean, we have a little two-day opener in November, but, I mean, our first real season startup is basically right around December 1st. I haven't even looked at the dates this year, to be honest with you, but, you know, that's that's uh, that's around when things start up. So, we, we got a little bit of time yet. I mean, obviously, we still got to brush everything up. That's a, that's a couple weekend project, really. If, if you do it right, I mean, you know, the, the, the key, and I've, I've heard other guys say the same thing on here before is, you know, if you want to kill ducks, you better get your hide right. I don't care where you're at. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if you're in a layout blind in a field or a gigantic blind like ours in the woods. If they can see you or any of your seven other little buddies and their, their shiny face, your, uh, your odds go down dramatically. So camo camo is definitely one of the, one of the big projects yet to come as far as this season. But I mean, you know, I've, I've definitely always got other other bigger projects, you know, for upcoming seasons, things that Dad and I talk about trying to do or whether it's making something better or, or just creating other little little holes. And I, I honestly, like I was telling you earlier, I would like to build a blind on that cypress hole, a small one, you know, a four or five man blind, nothing crazy. And and I don't even know that I would hunt it very often. I, I would probably get more enjoyment out of a couple wood duck hunts. And then just being able to sneak in there and watch, but it is fun to have options. And I like having, and we built another small blind last year on what we call Willow Ridge. It's just a willow break that runs right along this slough that has always kind of been good for ducks when the river floods it. And, you know, we made our, our field kind of has a little tongue that comes off of it and puts water right in front of this little spot. And, you know, we built a new blind there last summer and had a, had a couple pretty damn good hunts out of it this year it's really something you're only going to hunt with a south wind but i like you know i like those kind of projects where you can go and you can build this blind in a weekend and brush it up in another weekend it's a little five-man blind and you know built really nice and comfortable but nothing fancy but yet you know it's something you just you might only hunt it once or twice a year but you got an option you know what i mean whether it's a slow day or certain wind or maybe it's just you and one or two other guys you don't you don't even want to go mess with the big blind and you want a spot to go and you know those 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 little projects are fun and i think there's a few spots on the farm that i could still you know throw a throw a small blind up or do a little more dirt work or put another you know put another culvert in We, we try our damnedest to control this big creek that runs behind the blind and you know, Mother Nature's going to do what Mother Nature wants to do every time. I don't care how much money you got or how much sweat <laughs> equity you put into something. You just 
you can't control it sometimes, you know what I mean? So you just kind of do what you think will work best. And sometimes she'll prove you wrong and you got to modify it or live with it. One of the two. So, yeah, I was going to say, man, that's my, <laughs> my top priority every year is just manage the water. That is if I can, if I can manage the water, shift the water, throw the water yep. where I need it, that solves 90% of my problems. Everything else I can do when I need to. You know, and that but. was the biggest thing I, I told dad when we first started doing all this. You know, I said, if you were, a, you know, this was really even before drones. I mean, drones are so popular now. We fly a drone over our own property and you can see everything a duck sees. But You've got you some know, good drone footage, too. I don't know if five that's years you flying ago, Yeah, my what, buddy. My, I, got a, I got a buddy over, over Southern, Illinois, Southern Illinois, Missouri area, Nick Hagador, and he – He's awesome. He's a young guy, does some stuff for Rogers and Final Approach and whatnot. But he came over last year a couple of times. He came over once in the fall for a big family soup cook that we have. And then he he took some pretty cool pictures then. And then he, he came back in duck season and hunted with us one weekend. We actually – it was probably one of the worst weekends for killing birds we had all year last year. And, of course, you know, I get, get him to come over, and that was, that was what we got. But, yeah, he's taking some really, really cool drone footage. But – what I was saying is I, you know, I told dad whenever we first, you know, when I first started telling him like, look, if you'll just listen to me, I promise you we can kill ducks on this farm. Like I remember emphatically telling him that there was a point whenever, whenever we agreed to start doing this, the most birds they had ever killed on that farm in an entire season, ducks and geese combined was 67. Okay. To put that in perspective. And I mean, we, we had a day two years ago where we killed a nine, 10 man limit of mallards, nine man limit of mallards, I think in one morning by nine 30 after making some of these changes. And I, I just, I told dad, I said, you know, the way a duck flies, you fly over our property, barring the river flooding something. We just had all these little puddles, you know what I mean? Like he had a little puddle here and it'd be a quarter half acre pond that couldn't really control the water on. And, you know, it was just puddle after puddle and, you know, a little pit in the ground here, or a little makeshift blind here with just fencing and whatnot. And, you know, there are little places to go, but you're going to hunt one or two guys and you might shoot one or two ducks. And that was it. And I just, I remember the biggest thing that I had to sell him on was just like, look, it's going to take a little money. It's going to take a little work. It's going to take some people smarter than us. But if we can get this water to go where we want it to go, you know, trap it when we want to trap it in the fall, get it off when we want to get it off in the spring and put a well in where we can actually roll a tractor or a pump up here and pump our own water if we need it in the fall, it's going to change this farm dramatically. And what Absolutely. you said is 100% right. Like, if you can figure that out, I don't care how big or small your place is, you can figure water out, you're you're going to change things dramatically. And it, it takes a while sometimes to figure it out. Like I said, you know, Mother Nature's, she's going to do what she wants sometimes. And sometimes what we think is going to work seamlessly doesn't work at all. And, you know, you roads getting blown out or you know shit's backwashing around the culvert or you just i mean when that river gets up and you know that creek starts raging you're talking about i mean that thing moves gigantic trees and car i mean we've had old rusty cars end up you know on our property and neighbor's property and massive trees and it's like it puts into perspective you know what that river can do whenever it gets out so oh absolutely you know well, that- you're you try to build accordingly, but control it at the same time. So it's a challenge in itself always, for sure. Yeah, and it, you know, it, it's funny. So we were down throwing millet out at our place last weekend. I, 
I'm a firm believer. I don't know about y'all's planning window, but you know, if we're going to plan a millet, we have to do it between mid July and Labor Day. And if it's not in by then, you know, it's not even worth trying to put it in. So uh, we pull up to the farm, and my brother-in-law, you know, he's looking at me like, "Man, I don't, I don't remember this water being down this slow." Because we've got a few spots that you know they hold water all year long. And I said, "Yeah." You're absolutely right. You know, I asked, I asked the farm or farm manager, awesome guy. I uh, said, Hey, I reached out to him about a month and a half ago. I said, Hey, I want you to draw that water down as low as you can possibly get it. And, uh, we had about less than three foot of water in there. What that did promote a growth. So all the banks, you know, we've got moist soil, mud flats that are growing weeds and there's never been food there before. And right. that's one of our primary spots. Yeah. But you can take advantage of drawing your water down. You don't For have sure. to, you don't have to plant something every time. But you if you draw your water down at the right time, you're gonna get weeds, moist soil stuff. We got smart weed, chufa, we've got coffee beans, hispania, we've got everything going on down there and that's just free food that we didn't have to plant yeah it's native i mean we get a lot of that ourselves you know there's there's areas that we specifically try to target and plant and there's a lot of areas that do it naturally you know what i mean and like you said you get you get some smart weed and some just all different types of grassy stuff that you know whether it's cover or it's food one way or another, those ducks tend to like it. You know what I mean? And it's it's not always food. And that's the one thing it's like, you know, sometimes we'll plant Milo, sorghum, just, and we'll plant it late. And I'm not even planting it. Now, don't get me wrong. Ducks love Milo. They get in it sometimes when you flood it just to the right height. They, they will burn it up. And I know oh, that. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. But there's no times doubt. where we plant it late because we know it's really easy to grow. And we know we can get that stuff to grow three or four foot tall, even if it doesn't head out. It dies off. It kind of has that flooded corn look, but they love it for a windbreak. They love it for cover. They just, they, they get down in there and, you know, we try to do a lot before season gets here with the corn that we pick and what we leave standing. And I, you know, I, I essentially try to create, you know, almost like privacy fences is what yeah, I tell so you're running like, screens. Yeah. You're yeah, running you run screens th- and you, you know, I know, I know that if my, my neighbor, I know that if he rides down the property line on a side-by-side that he can bump ducks. So what do I do? I leave a row of standing corn all the way down the property line. Yeah, I mean, doesn't doesn't flood, doesn't do anything for me. Don't care. It's literally a privacy fence for us. And then I'll do the same thing throughout the field and the water. And, you know, I mean, they like getting in between those rows. They feel a sense of security. And, you know, I've read that in articles and stuff before, and I've seen it done over at the refuge across the river before. And it's like the more you can mimic – things like that, that you, you know, just absorb everything, read, read everything. You know, I, I've, I'm not some savant when it comes to this stuff. I, you know, amongst my buddies and my dad down there. Yeah. I'm the know-it-all I'll tell, I'll tell you, <laughs> they'll tell you, well, I'll tell you that. Yeah. He, he's, he knows everything, but you know, in the real world, I mean, you, you know, you talk to a hell of a lot of people that are a hell of a lot smarter than me, but I just, I try to be a sponge whenever I'm in those situations, whether it's, you know, down in Arkansas hunting with old South or it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I go on snow goose trip now every year with snow addictions, Jonathan Olson, I, and, you know, you don't follow him on social media, 
for snow goose hunting, you're you're missing out. He, this guy will put you in some of the wildest snow goose situations you could ever imagine. But you know, I just when I get the opportunity to be around those guys, and it doesn't matter if it's at snow goose camp, and you know we're sitting out by the fire, or you know if I'm in Arkansas or I'm I'm hunting with a buddy around here or whatever, you just constantly trying to be a sponge and you know these guys i mean nowadays with social media i mean you know how it is these these guys that are doing it right all over the place they're so willing to you know they may not talk to you directly you know dms back and forth and whatnot but i think what they do a good job of is they they teach by just posting these videos and they teach what they're doing and why they're doing it and you know it may not work in your area it may only work in their area but the more of knowledge you can gain from all these guys because with social media now i mean you've got access to guys that you know i mean just like you and me talking right now you know 10 years ago without social media we may have never never met hooked up not even known who each other was you know and now we get the opportunity to do something like this and i think you learn so much from so many people and social media has been great you know what i mean for that it's it's just a it's a cool it's a cool time the birds aren't like what they used to be but man you you know you can you can learn so much from <clears throat> from social media and guys like you, you know, doing stuff like this and hunting with guys. It's just, you know, be a sponge uh, and, and do, do it, do everything you can do. Watch, watch the ducks. If they, if they like that native stuff that you're not planting, leave it alone. You know, they like it for a reason. So whether it's cover or food, leave it, leave it and let them have it. Uh, I hope some guys from Indiana can learn from you, man. I'd, I'd love nothing more than to, to see that area, you know, turn into what you guys have done and, you know, just because a piece of property might be bare or undesirable or, you know, it may not, may not be mossy oak property saying, Hey, right. premier waterfowl property. Right. It doesn't matter. I mean, look, look to your DNR and CRA or, you know, there's so many WRP, CRP. There's, there's so many different avenues. Don't just write a piece of property off because it's, it's not already established. Yeah. Just like y'all did. You saw, you saw, Hey, it's not exactly what we want but I think there's some potential here. Let's turn yeah. it into something that we can call ours and say, Hey, I'm proud to proud to yeah. hunt here, proud to make it what it is today. Yeah. And you get that, you know, we do bring new guys. We bring kids, you know, you, you try to get guys that, you know, if you would have taken them 15 years ago out in the boat and done some of the crazy shit Michael and I did. Yeah. They, I could see how a guy could look at it and go, now nah, I'm out. I don't want to do that. But, you know, nowadays you can take them in a little nicer blind and they may not have all the best gear right away and you can get a kid out or, you know, you don't, you don't have to have hundreds of acres to do something cool. And, you know, I've got other buddies that are doing similar stuff, whether it's deer hunting or duck hunting that, you know, they, they take family farms and they're turning it into, you know, really cool pieces of property for them and their family. And it's, it's awesome. And it's like I said, being able to jump on social media and, learn so much so easily or jump on a podcast and you know listen I you know I'm driving around the jobs lately and I've been listening to some of the other guys you've had on here before and you know you can learn you can learn something from everybody I don't care if they're older than you younger than you you know guys hunt different situations in different parts of the country and you know it's it's pretty awesome what what social media has allowed you know me to learn and see and meet people and do stuff like this so definitely definitely all all worth it well worth it in my opinion yeah no doubt well, danny i i'm glad to have you on man this is absolutely blast this is more fun than i could have expected but 
would uh would you care you know i i always like throwing it out there you know you and me aren't the only guys out there trying to revamp some property or improve our hunting spots but would you care if anybody ever reached out to you in the future and if they had questions, hey, man, I'm trying to control my water. Hey, when do uh, I need to start putting water on? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I'm, I'm no savant in that department. I, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to tell people what works for us and what we try to do and why we try to do it. And, you what know, if it works, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an open book. If anybody, if anybody ever hits me up, I mean, we have, we have tons of people that will hit us up on social media occasionally and just asking random questions or, you know, I mean, I'm sure you guys know how it is. It's, it's usually a pretty good group of guys. And I, you know, I don't, I don't shy away from talking to anybody on there. So what's, uh, what's the best way for them to reach you on Instagram? Either typically, or typically or... regarding, you know, anything farm related, duck hunt related, it's just, uh, it's at the Fulton farm and I'm really just on Instagram. I don't, I'm not, I'm not crazy social media, but definitely have an Instagram account there. Just, you know, love, documenting what we do and we got a when you know we got a handful of followers we're not some we're not some big social media gurus but we uh we like documenting what we do and posting pictures of the guys and dad and you know and i think instagram's a pretty cool platform for a duck hunter you can you know you can see what guys are doing and stuff like this it's you guys had me fooled for years because i i totally thought you were some high-end goose or not duck at outfitter because y'all just smashing I, you know, birds I, I was i don't get me wrong there there is a part of me that wishes sometimes that i could just walk away and guy duck hunting or goose hunting for the rest of my life but then you go spend three or four days with john on you know snow goose hunt or and it's a grind, man. You, I mean, if you don't respect these guys, I, I hear guys, I've even had guys with me on trips before that get frustrated with guides because we're not killing them. And it's like, you know, it, if you knew what these guys went through. So yeah, I, I'm definitely no big shot here. I'm, I'm content staying in my lane and enjoying what we've got down there and bringing new people and meeting new people. And you know, I told you before, if you, if you, you think that you want to skip out on something you've got sometime and try to get up here and check it out. You're more than welcome anytime you want. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not too shy to invite people and show you what we got. We may not kill anything, but I promise you, you're going to eat one of the best breakfasts you've ever had. <laughs> like my, my old buddy Zeller, he's, he's, he's my dad's age. They're best buddies, but I mean, that man can cook. He, he don't know shit about duck hunting and he just does what we tell him, but he can flat out, he can flat out put a breakfast together. That'll, that'll blow your mind. So, well, it's worth a two-hour drive from Nashville for that, I promise. <laughs> well, we'll play phone tag this year. I mean, if I got birds, you get your ass down to Nashville, you can ride with me. If not, I'm headed your way. But, yeah, man, right. we'll, we'll stay in touch this year. And, yeah, man, for whoever's sure. got birds, we'll, I'm happy to trade a hunt, whether it's this year, next year, five years from now. I mean, I'm not not worried about it, man. I, I love you, you guys and all that. <laughs> so You got it. Well, Danny, I appreciate your time tonight, man. It, like I said, absolute blast. Loved loved having you on. This is great. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. It was a good time, man. So keep in touch. Keep in <laughs> we'll touch do. for sure. Yes. Awesome. We'll take it easy. All right, Danny. buddy. See Have ya. a good one. Later.